Welcome to the Alaris Global Podcast. At Alaris Global, we help international tech companies build and pay their American sales teams. On this podcast, we speak with people with global careers about their journeys and insights. Hi, Brian. It's great to meet you. Hi, how are you? Good. You advise on cryptocurrency at Chicago Crypto Capital. Tell me about cryptocurrency and why it is getting so much attention. The reason why cryptocurrency is getting a lot of attention is because it is an asset class. Um, one of the first asset classes has been created since maybe the Forex markets and before that, the commodity markets. So it is a different way to transact. And I think a lot of people are just now um, learning about the various ways in which it can change really how uh, people conduct business with each other. The current financial system tends to work pretty well for a lot of us. What additional value would crypto offer that the current financial system doesn't offer? So the current system is, it works, but like any, any new technology, um, it has its gaps. Um, what cryptocurrency, as far as transactions, what it can do for uh, the modern economy is it allows multiple people or two different parties to transact with each other without necessarily trusting each other, without needing a third party intermediary. Um, you're able to audit transactions without having to get perhaps an, a, a firm. It's easier to track things and it's easier to uh, conduct it with two parties uh, without necessarily having to depend on banks or other central authorities. So the current system right now is just highly dependent on us trusting banks or, or other intermediaries. Um, they, This, this by decentralizing you know, some of these institutions and lowering uh, perhaps in some uh, situations, the ability for those institutions to manipulate them and you're given greater access to um, just individuals to participate in that system. There are a few people such as Josh Barrow who have criticized crypto for supposedly not having fundamental value behind it. What is your response to critics of crypto? Um, critics of crypto are like critics of any other technology. Anytime you see a new technology, you're going to get someone that's critical. We heard some of these same criticisms when the internet came about. You know, we, why, why do we need an internet? We, you know, we have books, we have newspapers, we have regular mails, we have stores. We have a lot of other ways to do this. Whenever a new technology comes out, um, I think it brings criticisms because when people are, when people, the markets, um, the world is trying to figure out how these technologies work, um, you know, it's going to be inefficient. It's going to be a learning process. So it, depending on how you look at it going in, you'll always be able to find things that are wrong. Um, the critic you mentioned, I would imagine, is going to point at flaws. But I always like to point out to those people, usually most of the flaws that you will point out um, are, are less about with any, any new technology, it's less about uh, finding whether or not that technology is going to solve every problem, but find out how to integrate it with uh, the way we work right now, which problems right now that could be solved. A good example I would say is, you know, we don't cut bread with lasers, right? It doesn't make sense. We still have a knife. So if you're going to criticize a laser and say it's causing too much energy, then yeah, I mean, that's not an appropriate use for this. Many times when people are criticizing it, you know, I find that they're just 
you know, applying the new technology to a place that didn't really need it. In recent months, has effectively banned cryptocurrency. How will this impact crypto? You know, it, the banning of it crypto from China side, because they're such big in the mining community, um, it really just changes, uh, you know, as far as the mining rewards and, and, and who is profiting off of it. Think of it like in the manufacturing side, it's just moving it over to different locations. One of the strengths and one of the ideas behind cryptocurrencies is decentralized. So because it's, it's, it's decentralized, you're not dependent on one entity to go and control a market or control a supply uh, like central banks do in traditional finance. So this is actually the type of situations in which cryptocurrencies were created for. If China decides that they're not going to do this, then it's going to be picked up. The slack is going to be picked up from other areas. It's going to move to other countries, um, other individuals outside of there. So um, price action, you're going to get, usually whenever China bans, you're going to get some short-term pressure. But ultimately, you know, cryptocurrencies weren't designed um, with the need that one country is going to produce it or one country is going to control it. In fact, it was designed to be decentralized. There's a growing Bitcoin miners leaving China for Texas and other parts of the U.S. Why do you think they're moving to the U.S. and what impact would this have on the crypto space in the coming years? Yeah, so uh, there's several reasons. One um, is the unstable uh, nature of the regulation in China. There are bans that come seemingly um, randomly. Um, and another is energy. Um, the, the way that transactions are confirmed for Bitcoin, and I assume uh, it sounds like you're talking more about Bitcoin than maybe Ethereum, a lot of the uh, older uh, cryptocurrencies are based off of what is called proof of work. And proof of work, all it means is you're, con you're really um, uh, confirming transactions and you're using energy to do that. Um, energy is fairly cheap in the United States. Um, you know, we have a lot of domestic output in energy and China's a country that uh, inputs a lot of energy. So um, outside of regulation, the United States is a stable market. We have great infrastructure, or not great, it's sporadic, but certain areas have good, good to great infrastructure as far as uh, connecting to the internet. And uh, our energy costs are, are relatively low to the rest of the world. Uh, so it makes it a nice place. And Texas is uh, probably a reason why they're going to Texas. Texas is a place where they're in that export of energy. So if the biggest cost for these transactions is energy in itself outside of the hardware, the biggest ongoing cost is energy. Um, you're gonna look at places like Texas um, and other places that have access to cheap, efficient energy. Do you think that the US will become the world's capital of crypto? What does the US need to do to make that happen? The capital of crypto, again, is going to be hard. Um, because it is decentralized. It's really designed not to be uh, dominated by one, any entity, whether it be a government or institutions. Um, as a leading force, it all depends on regulation. Um, you're really gonna need some sort of regulation where the average person, and not just the average person, but institutions can be comfortable putting large amount of capitals and know how that's gonna be treated tax-wise, regulatory-wise, uh, you know, uh, uh, legally. So that's the biggest hurdle right now. Um, the, the United States climate is more um, absent um, really any sort of directive. So if the United States 
with our technological background and our, our actual money, we, we are positioned to be um, in a very, very good uh, spot to uh, control a lot of the direction of the cryptocurrency market. But it's gonna be highly dependent on whether or not you know, they get the regulatory framework that makes it possible. We're seeing some states, Colorado, you may have just seen that are accepted for tax. Um, they're accepting uh, crypto payments and taxes. Um, we've seen other countries do that. So allowing uh, people to actually use these currencies in a way outside of you know, you know, uh, purchases here or there or sending money to others to, to be made. And we're seeing a little bit of real estate, but able to, for, to be able to put large real estate purchases for a big pension fund maybe, to go put a good amount uh, of their funds in there and be um, confident that there's going to be a regulatory framework is going to be the biggest hurdle. So we're we're really looking at the government, um, the federal government, because uh, you know states can only do so much. Currency needs to be able to go across uh, state borders, and there needs to be an overarching federal framework before we really see the United States take a leading position in this area. What kind of framework do you recommend at the federal level for crypto? A regulatory framework right now, there's two different things. Right now, not punishing innovation. Cryptocurrency is part of a larger uh, technology, technology uh, blockchain. And with blockchain technology, some of these um, programs and use cases of them are not purely financial, but they're treated as such. So if you're making a software that maybe makes it efficient for let's say you to deliver goods across the you know, United States and you may have, have this uh, blockchain network that lets people use as an inventory system, but the government's treating every transaction as a financial transaction and taxing it, it really, really stifles, um, it really, really stifles the, the growth of that technology. It would almost, uh, the equivalent would be like you taking software and saying, yeah, every time there's an upload or a download, we're gonna tax it. It really doesn't make sense. It makes sense if you're looking at every blockchain as a cryptocurrency. Um, people think of blockchain and cryptocurrency as synonyms, as equivalent things, um, because the first, uh, crypto, first blockchain was a cryptocurrency. Bitcoin was a cryptocurrency, is a cryptocurrency. It's used for financial transactions. A lot of the earlier ones, Litecoin, Ripple, were all used to transact money. But when you get down, even the number two, uh, cryptocurrency by uh, market cap is Ethereum. And Ethereum is uh, really just a glorified um, software environment. It's a program environment. So what they can do is uh, a wide, wide, uh, I mean, there's gaming in there. You've seen probably NFT arts, publishing arts, you have music, you have anything that traditional software can be done. The difference between traditional software is that's on a server, it's on a computer and it's being sent out with uh, blockchain, it's really being housed on multiple computers. So to treat it as a financial currency is really what's, what's making it very hard uh, for it to grow. Okay. Um, so many countries, including the US, regulate crypto more. How will this impact the industry? Um, contrary to what a lot of people think, I think that's actually going to expand um, it's going to expand it and it's going to, it's going to do two things. First of all, it's cryptocurrency as, uh, because it's unregulated, it's almost like the wild, wild west. Um, anyone kind of does whatever. There's no overarching, overarching regulatory body that you can go to. 
um, perhaps people hear about a lot of crypto scams is because who's, who's gonna be following the cryptocurrency? Is it the SEC? Is it the uh, CFTC for commodities? Is it going to be um, the consumer agencies in each different uh, state? So the fact that we don't know who's supposed to regulate this allows for um, a lot of the bad actors to enter in there. And because there's no regulatory environment, what it does is it keeps the good actors from being in. I mean, I've talked to a lot of uh, big institutions that would love to get in cryptocurrency, but they say, hey, we don't even know who the regulatory body is. We don't know, we don't have maybe counterparties. We don't know, you know, who do we file our paperwork with? So we just are staying out. When you big business, big institutions need regulation. So individuals are gonna need the regulatory bodies to protect themselves um, when they, they get in there. They don't have the ability to, to go in there and assess these, these things. I mean, we're a company and we even have uh, difficulty sometime, um, you know, getting some information and data uh, about projects. So a regular individual just really has no chance. Uh, and there's no, regulatory body to go to if let's say they do and something goes wrong and the big institutions are just not going to get into something that is really um, seen as wild west so regulation is going to be needed for it to go from you know these little projects in people's basements or garages into something that you're hearing maybe big pension funds and big hedge funds and um, you know state bodies uh, getting in into what kind of do you think is needed? What type of regulation? Um, the, first of all, who who is over who is over any particular who regulates cryptocurrency? So before we can even determine what regulations, uh, we need to determine who is going to regulate this because it's going to be a give and take. You're going to have consumers, you're going to have the actual producers, you're going to have uh, all the market participants. That negotiation can't even begin to happen if we don't know where it's going to happen. Is it a currency? Is it a commodity? Is it just a regular software? Is, you know, until we understand, is it, maybe is it both? Maybe if there's classifications where some of them are moved into, uh, some of them are securities and SEC will deal with them. Uh, perhaps some of these are just like commodities. Uh, some of these maybe are just collectibles. If you look at NFT and they're regulated by, you know, the consumer protection agencies. Once you're in there, you know, um, you know, it'd be easy for me to sit here and and say what would help me as an advisory firm. But, you know, as, as with everything else, you're going to have a lot of mar uh, market participants in there. Um, you know, governments have different uh, interests in the technology as a consumer does, as maybe investors do, as maybe technologists do. So I guess first, um, you know, I don't want, and there's a couple of things I would like to say. Uh, I guess let me address the first issue and I can touch on some specific things I think probably all people can agree with. First agreeing uh, what is what and how do you define each project is gonna be crucial. Once we do define them, I know on the financial side, the taxation issue is an issue. Um, you know, treating, you know, movement of stuff or exchanging of stuffs is very, very complicated on the tax size. And it's very, it happens sometimes in a way that makes absolutely no sense when you actually look at it. But, you know, if you're trying to equate this to a, like the stock market, then it may seem like, okay, we may need it. Uh, if you're swapping, let's say Bitcoin for Litecoin or something, and they're saying that's a taxable event when you're maybe only doing that to confirm a transaction on the software, it may not make so much sense 
Um, the government may not even really, if they understood it, consider that to be a financial transaction, but could be treated uh, as such right now. So clearly defining this legally, how these things are defined would be a great start. Um, what I would like to say is get the tax side cleaned up and really, really have a framework in which we can classify something as either a financial technology, a commodity, or a software application. Once you get that started, I think a lot of the um, a lot of the decisions on how to treat these become a little bit more clear. We have a lot of case law that has dealt with how software is dealt. We have a lot of case law that's dealt with how securities are dealt. We have a lot of uh, we have a lot of uh, a case law that deals with how commodities are, are done. So broadly organizing these things into where they be, um, we don't necessarily have to start with the ground up and treat this like all new things. A lot of the way it behaves, you know, the, the only difference is it's on several computers instead of one. So we'd really be dealing with the issue on the edges instead of starting from the ground up and having, you know, decades. I mean, we're talking about the SEC uh, was started in what, the 30s, um, off the top of my head. You know, we have almost a hundred year of case law right now that's been built on, it's been litigated, it's been going back and forth. We don't really have to start at the back, you know, in commodities as well, you know, going in and then consumer agencies as well. Um, so we don't really have to start to scratch. I think it would really accelerate the, the, uh, the growth of cryptocurrency if we can you know, just jump right in and start, going, uh, start participating um, in the general market you know, on e equal terms without having to rehash some, some things that really you know, have been, been fought over the past, that fought over, discussed and settled on um, over the past almost century. Crypto prices have up a lot over the past several years, but tend to be very volatile in their price movement. How will incoming regulations impact the prices for crypto? Um, you know, I think regulation is almost less of an issue. Um, you, you know, regulation is less of an issue on prices than you would think. It's going to have an issue, obviously. Some regulations are really going to increase the prices or decrease the prices, but the volatility, um, in, in my opinion, is more of a factor that the whole market is in price discovery. No one really knows how to value it. And the best, I guess, analogy we could have is the, the, uh, the tech, us, uh, the internet. You know, it, we right now, um, you know, I'm old enough to remember, you know, the dot com um, first. You know, we had dot com and you know, you would have, uh, I don't know if you remember, you have any, anybody that had a tech company in 98, 99, 2000, you can immediately become a billionaire regardless of what your company did. Um, but if you look at the top companies in 1999, let's say last uh, quarter of 1999, you looked at them now, most of them are gone. Um, they went from zero to billion dollars to back to zero. That's an extreme amount of volatility that we kind of forget about. The stock market in 1930, we had the Great Depression, the whole thing retracted. I mean, people would become millionaires overnight and then the whole thing collapsed. You know, very, very extreme price of volatility. So once you get back, you kind of tend to forget about it. The car, even let's take uh, technology. Let's get outside of a financial thing. Look at the car market. We think of cars as this big, stable, uh, legacy industry, but there was countless amount of car companies that were around initially and they just kind of faded off. So as long as the technology uh, goes forward, you kind of understand 
where the technology goes, it'll even out, you know. So the volatility is less of a function, I, I believe, of regulation, more of a function of people have no idea how to price these things. And they're just really kind of guessing. You get a point where, you know, people hear about it and we get waves in 2018. Last year where people hear about it, they kind of rush in. You get kind of a, a lot of people trying to get rich quick, um, but that's almost every industry. Once you kind of shake out, um, you know, the early adopters who are either gonna go boom or bust and you start going to actual applications, you're gonna see an environment in, I would say in 10 years from now where you look at a cryptocurrency, you're gonna be able to look at its market cap and be able to look at its market share. You're gonna be able to have, you're gonna have a lot of, uh, you're gonna have the same uh, companies uh, doing analysis that you have in the stock and be able to kind of, you know, economics classes are gonna be, say, here's how you look at the cryptocurrency. These are the metrics. These are what you're looking at. Even now, right now, you know, um, you know, it may seem volatile to other people, they, but you know, these are people who are hearing a currency, investing in it because they think it's going up. Now, if you have a whole bunch of people operating on such a basic, basic level, you're going to get extreme volatility. Where if you see a lot of companies like ours or a lot of other uh, leaders in the industry, you know, we'll look at the token economics. How, what is the total supply of a coin? What is the uh, level of centralization of that coin? What is the actual market share of that coin versus its competitors? Whether they're competitors in the crypto space or the competitors in the non-crypto space, and it seems less volatile to us when we see growth. It's going to be more uh, in line to the actual fundamentals of the coin. But fundamentals take a time to develop in all industries. Um, you know, we're still uh, going back to the stock market. You know, after the stock market boom, you know, we're 20 years off and we still see companies go kind of boom and bust at less frequencies. So the volatility is more of a, more of a factor of the youth of the industry. Um, I don't know if it's going to be regulation. I mean, regulation is just going to um, kind of determine the participants, but um, we're going to see a lot of the volatility going forward until people really get an understanding of the technology when the technology becomes less right now we're still a speculation most of these technology are at the beginning um you look a little bit young i don't know if you know when and then that kind of people didn't really understand i, I couldn't remember um you had huge corporations like mcdonald's for instance uh their web page would say welcome to mcdonald's and that was like it and kind of it was like well, what's the point of this and then now you can go to mcdonald's and order something on the app on your phone by the time you arrive there it's already there then they can kind of track their users and they, it helps them with inventory it helps you with discounts and rewards programs and you know if you had told me in 2000 that i'd be ordering mcdonald's through my cell phone that would have been just something that i couldn't comprehend um so so we're really at this at the beginning of this um you know, it's, it's almost like asking someone in 1997, you know, what are we going to do about the volatility of the internet? You really just have to let the, the bad projects go bust. The good projects are going to make people rich. And, you know, the people that are in the market speculating um, are going to, uh, more, uh, you know, it's going to take some luck, but it's also going to take some uh, determining which one of these um, applications are going to be here 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now. That's great. What do you think crypto will look like 10 years from now? Will it be an integral part of our daily lives? I think it will be. And uh, one of my, one of the ways I see crypto happening um, or interacting with it is maybe like a company like Oracle right now. You know, Oracle is a company that the average person interacts with 
dozens and dozens of times a day, but they couldn't tell you that, right? Because it's, it's on the backside of, of the infrastructure. You know, you go swipe your card, you don't know that it's going through their database and using the technology or you know, you're making a phone call, you don't know that, that the telephone company is using it. It's underpinning a lot of the core technology. So uh, if cryptocurrency, and I, I like, I, cryptocurrency is the buzzword, but you really have to look at it more as blockchain. Black cryptocurrency is a subset of the blockchain. But a lot of these transactions are going to be integral without the average person necessarily knowing. Um, let's say I'll, I can give you an example. You may be able to buy uh, insurance, uh, house insurance, renters insurance. You go in there, you go to Allstate or you go to any of your companies, you buy a policy and you know, that's it. So you think, okay, well, I just did this. Nothing really happened, right? But you know, it could get to a point where a company like Allstate and all these other companies are using blockchain, taking their whole base of people um, and uh, you know, um, uh, putting their whole pool and distributing all the transactions, the payouts, the smart contracts, which we didn't really talk too much more about this, but smart contracts are the software that is running so the, uh, behind this. So. These companies could be using the smart contracts in the back. You're just buying insurance at the end of the day, how your insurance is priced, how it's paid out. Instead of having an insurance claim, go through an auditor that's gonna go back and see what happened here. It's gonna run through the smart contract and their, their automate, automated processes in the background. You're gonna see a lot of middlemen cut out uh, logistics. Right now we're seeing blockchain being adopted. So if, if something's moving from point A to point B to point C, where you have maybe a person that's checking it in at every single point and then releasing money there based off of it's there. That'll be an automated process. You'll see a lot more automated process uh, occurring in 10 years. The only difference is, I mean, you don't really see the person at the checkpoint. When something arrives at your grocery point, you don't know that this food stopped in six different states and was checked in at different waypoints. You may know on the background, but you don't know who that particular inspector is. Instead of that inspector being the person, it's just going to be on the blockchain. So. Um, it'll be almost an invisible hand. It'll be, um, you know, we're going to see a lot more complicated uh, transactions um, being able done. I think we're going to see a lot less fraud um, in in the marketplace because the thing about blockchains, you have a public, uh, you have a public record. People are going to be able to, yes, yeah, something may slip by, but you can always go back and and catch these things. So I think we're going to have the ability to interact with other people that you don't know. You can be able to do a lot more complicated things with them. Um, but it's not, you know, I, this world that um, everybody's paying for stuff with Bitcoin or Ripple or Litecoin, it's, um, it may happen, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't, you know, like you, your earlier question, the, the financial system it works. If you just need to go and buy, it. it the laser and bread thing. Um, you don't cut laser with bread because it's not needed. If you want to go and buy a sandwich from the store, you don't need to go on the blockchain to do it. You can go and hand them a piece of paper. But let's say I will buy this, you know, sandwich if, uh, you know, um, uh, I'll buy the sandwich if I have, well, that's the sandwich is probably a bad one, but I'll buy this insurance, you know, um, if this thing happens, I get paid off, um, you know, these sort of things, these complicated things where you, well, I can't have a person that's going to figure out all these different scenarios. Um, you know, we have to keep really transactions pretty basic. If you go and hand someone a dollar, 
that's that's easy. But are you going to go ahead and this guy down, hold this, only pay this guy uh, for that sandwich if I come to this store before you, and if I walked into this store, then you you can go and pay him. And if not, you know, if I go to a different place and you can go take that money and go pay them, um, you know, or let's say if I walk into a, a barbershop, then why don't you go pay them? You know, all these ifs, I do this and they, they can do this. These are kind of complicated things that really wouldn't make sense with the traditional finance, but a lot of automated behavior, a lot of complicated multi-party behavior, contingency transactions are made possible um, with people you don't trust, don't know, um, may not trust and may never know. Uh, you'll be able to deal with people uh, like that without having to physically go give your debit card or cash somewhere. That's great. Is there anything? Yeah, I would. I would like to say, you know, um, for everybody, um, you know, when you think about cryptocurrency, I want people to think about cryptocurrency in the context of blockchain, realizing that cryptocurrency is just transactions on the blockchain. The technology itself, being interact with other people. You know, we interact with people a ton of times a day. I mean, you're going to interact with people all the time. Money is a convenient um, intermediary, um, but it is almost, um, you know, money is, the way money is used right now is just a medium into the way we interact with people because it's a nice base. One dollar is equal to this, so we just have to frame how everything works with a dollar. You come work for me, it costs you this amount of, just pick the amount that is going to cost you to come work for me and I pay you out. So I'm paying you for your time. I want this Apple, but well, it costs you this much to grow it, to ship it. We figure that out. Then you can do it. So money right now is the intermediary. Um, it's the intermediary because that's the best thing we have. If we think about blockchain and being able to sort of uh, put all of Um, as something, wow, border fraud, or how do we calculate this, or how do we go back and check? This is something that blockchain could very easily solve um, going in there and trying to understand how uh, blockchain, uh, you know, how everybody can come in, one person can vote very easily, we can audit it at a second, with no cost, you know, and that's a transaction that, you know, money, yes, there's a money component in it because you'd have to pay an auditing firm to use their time to go in and manually check all the votes, you know, to even have a vote, we have to pay money for a voting machine and check the voting machine, keep up the voting machine. So money is being used on all these transactions where there's not necessarily a financial transaction in there. Um, so it, I just want people, when they think of cryptocurrency, yes, you know, it has a value, but don't let the fact that there's a price next to, let's say, Ethereum cloud what this is doing you know it'd be almost the same as saying the value of the internet is the stock prices when anyone can tell you it's the value of the internet is the convenience of it. its ability to access information you know at, at fingertip it's the ability for you and i to be able to have this conversation without us being right next to each other i can look at you you can hear me you're going to take this you can disseminate it to all your uh, all the people in your network um you know, that's what the value of the internet is. Now, someone could go out there and say, yeah, okay, well, Zoom has this stock price. So, you know, this is the price of Zoom. And, and But that's that's kind of a very, very basic way of looking at the internet. Um, you know, and just the same as we don't solely 
value uh, stocks by uh, or value internet by its stock price. I would I would really want people to not value uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain by what it's trading on a, on a screen. It's really about disseminating information without needing to go through one person. It's letting everybody come into into uh, disseminating information. It's, it's, it's democratizing, it's decentralizing the whole process of distributing the information. That's great. Well, it was great to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. So if anyone wants any other information, you know, Chicago Crypto Capital, we can uh, answer some other questions for you guys. Um, anything from security to the markets to, to software projects, NFTs, we're trying to do it all. So, let us know if you have any questions. Thank you for having me, Bonnie. It was a very great, uh, very great conversation. And let me know if you need any other, if you have any other questions in the future. I will. Thank you.